11 chapters of Genesis, which are the most important chapters, in my opinion, in the whole Bible. If you understand Genesis literally in these first 11 chapters, you really have a great grasp of what's going on in the rest of the Bible. And as we go through the Old Testament, specifically as we continue our study for this next, I don't know, nine, ten months in the, in the book of Genesis, maybe longer, I don't know how long it'll take, but as we work through our way through it, you'll get it, you'll understand, you'll, you'll know. There'll be a, a great consistency in your, your knowledge base of the scriptures. That's why we're studying Genesis verse by verse here. But we're in this section that's all about Abram. Abraham is his name. He'll, his name's going to be changed in Genesis chapter 17. From his name, it's really interesting, his name means father of height, Abram. And God's going to change it to father of, many of you know what it means, right? Father of many nations. And he's a 75-year-old man when we meet him tonight, and he has no children. And by Genesis 17, God's going to say, I'm going to change your name to father of many. He's got no children. But, but here's what we're learning about Abraham. He's a man that's walking by faith. He's learning right now to trust God in everything. That's the overwhelming truth that we're learning right now. He, Abraham is the, the second to Jesus Christ in the Bible. He is the most significant person that you read about in the scriptures. Revered as the father of every Israelite, father of the Jewish people. Known by Christians as the, a man of faith that we emulate. We come to Christ by faith, and it was Abraham. It's faith that was accounted to him as righteousness before God. It's Abraham we revere. Even Muslims see him as a prophet. He is seen by most of the population in the world as a, as a special and unique person. But it's Abraham who we're studying tonight. We're going to look at him in these, these few verses. I, again, I've just taken a little section because there's so much here for us to learn. So before we go any farther, let's ask God's blessing, and then we'll jump into our, our text tonight. Father, I thank you for the word, and, and I ask God that you'd help me to expound it. But Lord, in this, this sobering topic that I, I mentioned tonight, we pray, Lord, that you would abolish abortion mills in our country, these places that, that are killing the unborn. For the convenience for some, for the money and the riches of others. And we ask, Father, that you would intervene. Help us, Lord, to have a heart, your heart, for the innocent. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would bring forth people, men and women, that, that have that heart to stand in the gap, to do something more than just think about it. And, uh, and Lord, I pray for Jerry Brown and, and his wife and this ministry that, that's going to be here uh, on Fridays, standing around that abortion clinic and, and uh, praying and offering counseling to anyone that comes there to, uh, to have that child, to, to see the value of that, that living human being. But Lord, as we turn our attention now to the uh, word, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would teach us and, and instruct us and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Abraham. Abraham, did you know that he's been given one of the most unique titles in the Bible? He is known, listen, you know this, he's known as the friend of God. Have you heard that before? He's known as the friend of God. Let me show you a scripture here. It's in James, two places, actually in the Old and New, but the New Testament, James 2.23, in the scriptures, 
was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called, notice, a friend of God. So we're going to see this man that we've been introduced to. He was living in Ur of the Chaldees. He was an idolater. And God sovereignly, by his grace, picked him out of that home. And he's slowly, slowly coming around and, and, and beginning to, to believe in God and trust in God. And by the end of his life, even though he makes mistakes, because he is human, we see him in, as a great man of faith. He's a, a great study for you and I, because we live a life of faith. We trust in a God we do not see. I don't know about you, but I've never heard his audible voice. I've heard his voice. I hear his voice every time I open the scripture and read. But I, I don't hear his voice audibly. Uh, it, we're going to see in this text tonight that he actually was visited by God. Only a few of those, you know, uh, the originals, Adam, Noah, there's only a few and, and Abraham. But he is known as the friend of God. Here's another verse in Isaiah chapter 41. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. So he has this unique place in the Bible. Abraham is is, is really the, the most important person in the Old Testament. And, and it's interesting, but in the very first book of the New Testament, he's named in the very first verse. Let me show you Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of genealogy. If you read Matthew, Matthew is a Jew, and he's presenting Jesus, the Savior, as the king. And it's a beautiful gospel. If you haven't read, uh, read it, you should. But here's the way the first book of the New Testament begins, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of, notice, Abraham. Matthew shows the significance of the family line of Jesus Christ here. And so he links Jesus with, number one, the greatest king of Israel, Jew, and also the founder of the Jewish people, Abraham. That's how important this man is. Now, last week, we looked at the opening verses, just a couple. We only looked at three verses last week, and there was a lot there for us. But it's Abraham who begins his life or journey of faith. And although it takes Abraham many, many years to come to a place where, where he's absolutely in obedience to the Word of God and to God himself, uh, the wonderful truth is, is that we learn much in studying his life. He's really an amazing study, like I said. Until the day he died, he, he was a man that walked by faith. Now, last week, we looked at the first three verses of chapter 12, and it begins with God asking the, eight, uh, the 75-year-old Abraham, or Abram is his name here in this text, to move to a new land. And, he, and he, he, he doesn't tell him where to go. He just says, I want you to go to a land that I'll show you in the future. I just want, are you going to be obedient, Abraham? Are you going to obey what I tell you? I just want you to go. Get ready and go. And, and that's where what we saw last week. No maps. Think about it. No GPS. No AAA service. I mean, he just, God says go. And, and we have all those, those things for us, right? This is, a, this is an ancient man in a very, a very modern society for their time. They had all kinds of, of metallurgy. They had all kinds of music and other things, uh, industry, uh, animal husbandry. They had all of that. 
but he's told now to go to a land that he's never been to, just to get up and go. That's what we see. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I'm going to show you. Just get out. I want you out of there. Now, you, if you studied with us last week, you know why God wanted him out of Ur of the Chaldees. He wanted him out of that place. He wanted to remove Abram from this idolatrous, corrupt, sinful society. He wanted to isolate him away from those people. But here's my question. You know, when I read this chapter 12, verse 1, when the Lord said, I'm thinking, how, how did the Lord say that? Did the Lord appear to him in the form of an angel? Did, did God give a vision at night as, as in a dream or an audible voice? We don't know. But what we do know is that God specifically told Abram to go. And that's what he does. I, I love that. Hebrews kind of gives us a summary. Here's a, a large text, but look at it with me on the screen. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith... Abraham obeyed, and he was called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance. So see how this fits in with our text tonight. This is, this is the New Testament writer. Paul, it's Paul. For those of you that study the word. And he says to go to a place which he would receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So he is in this place listening to God and obeying by faith. And he's going to take this entourage of people from where he's living to a place he doesn't even know. That's what proves that he's a man of faith. We need to learn to live like Abraham. I need to learn to live that way, to walk by faith and trust in God's word and obey it completely without question. And that's why Abraham, again, is a good study. It says, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So it's all done by faith. It's Abram who was chosen by God's grace, chosen to be the father of a new spiritual race. Think about that. It was through the Jews that the Messiah would come. It's through the Jews that God would dispense his grace to the nations. In the Old Testament, it's all shown over and over again. God chose a specific people to do a specific job, and God is not done with the Israels, uh, Israelites. He's not done with the Jews. We see the Jews in judgment at the end in the book of Revelation. We see the Jews, the 144,000 witnesses, these, these marked evangelists going around the world. They can't be touched by the Antichrist. They, they, they're impervious to bullets. And they go around and they're preaching the righteous. And Jews, Jews are having the greatest revival of the, in world history at this time. But the sad thing is, is because they didn't believe in Christ before the tribulation, they go through the tribulation and most of them are killed. They're martyred. You can read about the martyrdom of, of these Jews. They go to heaven and they sing a new song that nobody's ever heard before. They worship God in a way. Uh, when you go to Israel and you see the Jews, they're passionate about God. If anybody should have a relationship with God, it's the Jews. There are some that are so excited and happy. I told you about that one. We're going down the street. The light turns red, a large five-way intersection, massive, you know, with like five roads going at each way, massive intersection. Light turns red. We look over, and there's this brightly colored van. These Jews get out with their hats and everything, and they're dancing and singing, and the music's going. I was really kind of like, what is going on? And, and our guide was saying, oh, those are the happy Jews. <laughs> you have all these different kinds, or, 
or sects of Jews. There's different groups. But these are the happy ones. They're just, they believe that everything's happy. Remember saying that? And some of it, if you're here and you were on the bus for there, it's just a fascinating thing. But the Jews, they love God. They truly, truly love God, but they missed Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They're still looking for the first coming. We're looking for the second. And when Jesus comes back again, they're going to miss him, but some of them will be revitalized as, as God brings this witness. The Jew, God is not done with the Jewish people. We should love them. We should protect them. We should do all we can because this covenant that we read about last week in, in verses 2 and 3, you bless Israel and God's people, he'll bless you. If you go against Abraham and his people, God's going to be against you. That's what the scripture says. And it's been proven over and over and over again throughout the ages. And I gave you some examples of that last week. But Abraham, he gives up certainty, a home, a livelihood for uncertainty. Think about that. Just because God said, I want you to move from here and go to a land, and he didn't even tell him where he's going to go. Go to a land, and I'll show it to you. You start moving. You start walking by faith, and I'll show you that. Isn't that the way the Christian life is? You can hear about God in church. You can read about God in the Bible. But until you believe in God, you're not saved. And then when you get saved, you start walking, and you take little baby steps. And then as you step out in faith, God will lead you to the next place. That's how it is in the Christian life, brothers and sisters. Oh, Pastor Lee, I, I'm the kind of person that I, I, need, I need him to tell me step one, two, and three, or I just can't go. How many are like that? I, I'm just admitting. I'm telling you right now, that's who I am. But that's not the way we are to be as a Christian. We are to be obedient to the call of God, to the word of God. And that's what Abraham is doing. So let's read. Let's read here as Abraham begins his life of faith, my title, in verse 4. So Abram. He departed as the Lord had spoken. There it is, immediate obedience there. And Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people, there's a bunch of people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were in the land. So immediately they go to the land. They, they're obeying God in the opposition. Boom, there it is. It's a walk of faith, a life of faith. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So he worships God who appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountains east of Bethel and pitched his tent in Bethel on the west side of Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord. So he worships God again. He calls on the name of the Lord. And then verse 9, so Abram journeyed, going on still to the south. So here we go. He's going to start his life of faith. He's finally going to be obedient at 75 years old. And he's going to live to be about 175. So he's got some years ahead of him. People are still living Pretty long lives at this point in time in, in, the, in the Bible. Slowly but surely, they're going to get down to, to around 70, 80 years like we live. But God called Abraham, and Abraham departed. My first point here, verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. 
God called, Abraham obeyed. Do you get it, Christian? Do you see how our lives are to parallel this man of faith? When God calls us, we're not to say why, when, where, what am I supposed to do in the interim? What am I? We're not supposed to ask a question. We're just, God calls us, and we're supposed to be immediately obedient. That's what it's proving here. God called, and Abraham departed. He may have doubted, but he went. That's the point here. He may have wondered, but he went. Now, now remember his father, Terah. We looked at Terah in the last chapter. He brought the family. Abraham got the call, and the whole family, they were going to Canaan, but they only got to this place called Haran. It was a place known for worship. And I showed you these. Let me show you these pictures again. These are pictures of the moon god, Nana, Nana, however you want to pronounce that. If you're a Nana, it's Nana, right? But see the little crescent moon? Remember I talked about that last week. Here's another picture. See the little crescent moon there? This is an ancient Assyrian god, Nana. They, these people, they were into astrology. They, they worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars. And so God has to get Abram away from this idolatry. i got to get him out of that country, God says. I'm going to get him away from there because I have a plan for him. And I can't use him here in this idolatrous place, this sinful place. So he's going to get... Abram out of there. That's why he calls him. And Abraham, or Abram, departs. He makes a complete break with the past. When you came to Christ, ding, when you came to Christ, did you make a complete break from the past? You had to, didn't you? You cannot say that you're a Christian and live in sin. You can't. And Abram, again, is a great example of that. He had to come out of all of that place and all of his past, and then God would give him more. He'd give him more revelation. He had to obey God. God says, I want you to get out of here, get out of your father's house, and go. And Abraham obeyed. And it's the same way for you and I as Christians. When God saves us, we have to leave the past behind. It's known as B.C. or before Christ, right? Your B.C. days, do you remember those B.C. days? I don't want to remind you of some bad, you know, dreams and habits, but they were bad, weren't they? You were living in sin. You were lost in darkness. And then you saw Christ, and light came into your heart. You believed in him, and you were saved. And everything changed. You went from darkness to light. You went from, from unsaved to saved. You, you moved into the realm of the spiritual life in you. You desired the word of God. You desired fellowship. You wanted all those things. If you don't want any of those things, then you're not a Christian. Christians want those things. I talked to a brother today. It was really a blessing just to hear his story and how excited he is about serving the Lord. I love that. When you, you, know, when you get with a, a new Christian or someone that, that you have never met before and they've got a testimony, they share it with you, and it just kind of hypes you up. Because you, you know that they are living proof of the saving grace of God. Their life has been radically changed. And that's what Abram does. He has to leave the country and all its idol worship and turn to the true and living God. God wanted him to have that complete break from the past. And it's the same way in our lives. It's the same exact thing. Jesus called his disciples to leave, to leave everything. In fact, here's a great verse here, Mark 1, 17. 
And Jesus said to his, his uh, disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And notice what they did. They, they went home and they thought about it, you know, and made a plan to leave. What does it say? They immediately left. You see, when you come to Christ, you immediately leave everything behind. We learn that as we look at the scriptures. And I, I can't, I mean, as I think about my life, I was really young and I hadn't done a lot of stuff like I hear from some Christians that I hang out with. And I hear about the stuff they used to do and it's like, wow, you know, I can't believe that. But when, when you've left those things behind, it's, it's dark, you remember it as darkness. It's bad. I, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And that's what we see. When we come to Christ, we're to leave all of those things away, we, uh, behind. We abandon the past. We start new. And that's what's happening with Abram here. He left everything. He didn't know where he was going, but he obeyed God. And that's the central truth for the life of faith. That's what we need to do as Christians. We need to leave everything behind and follow God and advance in everything. In, in all different ways. And God calls us, but he doesn't always explain the details. That's, that's where we all, we all, we get confused with that, right? It's like, well, God, you, you want me to pack? You want me to take this or sell that? And God says, no, I just want you to go. Oh, well, but Lord, I've got ties here. Remember Jesus talking to his disciples, you know, and he gives an illustration of one that says, I, I'll follow you, but I first got to go home and bury my dad. He's getting really old. I need to hang out with him, you know, and take care of my dad. And remember, Jesus said, let the dead do what? Bury the dead. Let, let those that are around him do, you follow me now. All through the scriptures, you'll see that. The call to follow God is now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't come to Christ next year. Do it today and then immediately follow the Lord, be obedient and leave everything else to God. When I was reading this, I was thinking, I don't know, I do this when I'm studying, my, my mind flashes back and I remember this commercial. I remember this commercial on, it was on the radio and it was on TV. The old Greyhound bus commercial, remember that? Go Greyhound and what? See, you, you, you guys are my age. I'll tell you the younger ones, it was go Greyhound the bus and leave the driving to us. When God calls us to go, we just need to go and let him drive and let him run things. That's the example that we're given here. And notice his route. I love this, and I want to show you. I've got a map here. You've heard this term before, the Fertile Crescent. Have you heard that? This is the Fertile Crescent of the Middle East. From You see the Persian Gulf way over here, Persian Gulf, and then the main rivers that flow into Euphrates and, and Tigris rivers. This whole valley is fertile. This is where Babylon is. This is where uh, Saddam Hussein had his castles and right on the river. All, this is very fertile. Hot, dry, nasty. You don't want to live here. You can live here. But see how it's a crescent all the way over here to Canaan and Israel. It's, it's known as the Fertile Crescent. And it's known, it was known in those days as the trade route. It's where everybody lived. Nobody lived in the middle of the desert. They lived in that area. And so... If you notice way down here, I guess I should have brought my, my pointer, but here's Ur, Ur of the Chaldees, way down here. Him and Terah, uh, Abram and Terah and his family, they traveled all the way up and, and uh, they went to Haran. Haran's up here. And now he's going to move from Haran all the way down here to Canaan. So this is like 800 miles to here and 400 miles down to here. He's making this trip, but he's been way up there 
in this area that's known as the fertile crescent there, kind of rimming the desert wasteland. And God called Abram to depart, and he did. He left. He left, and he went up in this modern trade route. There's all kinds of ziggurats and, and old cities and tells, which is a city built on a city built on a city over hundreds and thousands of years. These cities, uh, you know, because they just stacked up rocks, and an invader would knock them down. They'd build them up again, and they'd, so you get these mounds. They look like mountains, actually. They're tells. They're cities that were, and that's where the archaeologists go through, and they dig down to find out how old these places were. They're all over in this area. Lots of archaeological uh, digs going on in that area as well. So God called, Abraham departed, and then notice Abraham's obedience, it involved this, and here's my point, it's a very simple one, everything he had. Look at verse 5, then Abraham took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's wife, and then notice it says, and all their possessions that they gathered and the people whom they acquired in Haran. And that's they left from Haran, which was way up in the north, and they went west. They just went west and then down along the Mediterranean Sea to the land of Canaan. So when Abram left Haran, the scripture says that he took everything. So when you when you follow the Lord, when you depart the past and you you take you just go, you go. And here in his case, he took everything he had. He just took it all. He uh, piled it all up. He put it on camels. I don't know how they moved it all. But this statement here indicates that he was a wealthy man. He and Lot had made money up in Aaron in this idolatrous city. They had herds of goats and sheep, maybe camels and donkeys. They had all this stuff. And they had all these people they acquired in Haran. So the question is, how many people? And scholars have kind of gone back and forth on how many people. It's very interesting. But we see in Genesis 14, and I'll throw it up here. You can look in your Bible, but I'll throw it up here on the screen. In Genesis 14, 14, there's a situation where Abram's brother is taken captive. He wants to go and, and get his brother back. Here's the verse. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed, notice, 318 trained servants. And notice where they were born, in his house. So from that scripture, we believe that Abram had a big entourage. There's a lot of people. It just mentions the three main ones, Abram, Sarai, and Lot. But Lot had a bunch of herd and cattle and people that supported his, his agricultural work. And so did Abram. So here's this group. You got to think of it in terms of two or 300 people caravanning with Abram, going to, where are we going? Where are we going? I don't know. We're just following Abram. He's the boss. He, where are we going, Abram? I don't know. I'm just following God. I'm trusting the Lord. Just trust God. I can just see him smiling. Just, I love God. He told me we're just going to go. Okay, okay, we'll follow you. Big old entourage moving now through the desert. That's what the scripture tells us. Now, back here in verse 5 of chapter 12, it says all their possessions, all the people, hundreds of people in, in, is what we believe. And again, this adds credibility to Abraham's faith. To take everything, I mean, it would have taken, if it was just Abraham, it would have been easier, right? If it's just you. But if you have to motivate your wife or your husband and your kids and, and go and follow God, that's a big deal, right? And he does it. He does it with several hundred people. 
you know, 300 people later on, he had to go get his brother back. So he must have had hundreds with him at this point in time. It took a great faith for him. He doesn't know what's ahead. He doesn't see anything ahead of him, but he's trusting the Lord. He's trusting the Lord for everything in front of him that God would take care of everything. And that's what exactly what God does. God makes a promise and he fulfills that promise. And God wants to teach us to do the same thing. As we read this book, here's the application for you and I tonight. It's not just to learn about Abram, but to compare his life with my life or your life of faith. Do you have the faith of Abraham? Are you walking obediently like Abram? When God says it, do you obey immediately? Do you do what he says? God wants us to trust the same way, to place the unseen ahead of the seen. I like that statement, and I believe God wants us to do that, to learn that. He was 75. I'm only 59, so I've still got a couple of years to learn it completely. But I'll tell you this, God is teaching me every day. This week, I went through some interesting things, and last week, and I think all of you will admit there's things that happen in your life all the time, and God is, he is testing you. And then after the tears, and after the day goes by, and after your friends pray for you, and you kind of come to your senses and say, God, I'm sorry for, for not trusting you with the unseen. Uh, that God wants us to learn, and, and we grow a little bit, maybe in my case, just that much. So it's going to take a lot of those, a lot of those to get growth, right? And God will do that in my life over and over and over again because he has a purpose and he, he has a bullseye. He knows exactly what he's doing and, and it's not comfortable, but I need to learn that. You need to learn that as well. So we, we, uh, I believe that God wants us to come to that place where we understand that. And he promises, and I love this, chapter 11 of Hebrews, the great chapter of faith. Notice verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you have a strong faith in God, notice what it is. It's substance and evidence. Isn't that interesting? Faith, something I can't see. I can't see God. Substance, evidence. I know that God exists. I know because he saved me. I know what I would be without Christ in my life. I know he's here. I know what he'd he, he, I know what you would do, some of you, what you would do without Christ in your life. So faith is substance, it's evidence of things not seen. And God wants us to come to that place of absolute dependence and absolute trust. Guess who I'm preaching to tonight? Guess who? God is, he's working in my life right now, and I love this. Thank you, Lord. I, I want to stand up and take the arrow right now. I hope you do too as we, we look at these verses we're supposed to trust in him with everything that we have, every fear that you have, every care that you have, every worry that you have. We are not to fear, we're to have faith. Fear and faith are mutually exclusive. You can't have the two. You're either walking in fear or you're walking in faith. Which one are you walking in tonight? I've already exposed myself here. Which one are you walking in? In. Let me show you something. I want you to hold your finger here and go to the New Testament book of Matthew, first book in the uh, New Testament, Matthew chapter 6. I want, I want you to see this. You know this. I could have read it to you, but I want you to read it yourself in the Bible. Matthew 6, 25. I'm going to read a lengthy section, so I want you to follow with me in, 
in your Bible. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, don't worry about what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then here's the example. I love this. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? Isn't that a wonderful verse, Christians? God loves you much more than the birds. He loves you. Aren't you more valuable than that? Don't you understand that he will provide everything? So your fear is unfounded if you're a believer. You need to have faith and believe and trust in the Lord. And then he goes on here. Verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothes? Consider the lily of the fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I say to you that even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God, verse 30, so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. They don't have a, God, a true and living God. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And then this verse that we all know, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Wisdom from the Word of God, Christian. I don't know where you're at tonight. That should give you great hope. God loves you, and He'll take care of you, and He'll provide for you. You can strive for more, but that's all it'll be. You'll be beating yourself up for more and more and more. Or you can rest and let God provide. That doesn't mean lazy, by the way but resting in, in the job God's given you, resting in the, the income, whatever that may be, even if it's a fixed you know, uh, retirement income, just resting in that, trusting in that, thanking God for his provision in your life day by day. What a, what a blessing. What a, what a weight off your shoulders just to trust the Lord for everything. That's what we're learning about Abraham here. So God called, Abraham departed, Abraham he, he, his obedience involved everything that he had. And then notice Abe and the whole entourage get to Canaan. They, they run right into opposition. Notice verse 6. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem and as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were in the land. They get all the way to where they're going to go. They 400 miles from, from Haran down to um, what's known as Israel, the land of Canaan. They're in that land now. And the, they open their eyes, they get there after their long journey, it's like, oh, they're finally in the land, and oh, there's these idolaters. Look at all the Canaanites, they're, all their orgies and all their dancing around carved idols, and all, look, what, we just left that in her. And here we, we're faced with this opposition immediately. Now, the word Shechem there, the place of Shechem means shoulder. It's near, the, it's near Mount Gerizim, which would later be a place of worship. 
So Abraham gets to this place that's later going to be this place of, of worship on the shoulder of the hill, just the hill overlooking this valley. That's, that's what's being um, shown here. And then there's these Canaanites. They're worshiping all these carved gods. When, when he arrives in Canaan, he's met by idol worshipers right away. He just got out of that in, in the land of Ur, and now he's seeing it. He walks directly into it. And notice verse 10. Go down to verse 10, and you'll see that Abraham walks directly into a famine. So first, he, he comes to the land that God told him he'd go to, and immediately there's idolatry. And then secondly, there's a famine. Christian, listen. Listen to what I say. When you come to Christ, you are going to go through trials. If someone tells you that when you come to Christ, everything is going to be perfect, your husband will love you like he's never loved you, your kids are going to be totally immediately obedient to you, your car will never run out of gas, and all these other things. When you come to faith in Christ, he begins to test your faith, to grow you and mature you. And just like Abraham and his family, who comes immediately into opposition and a famine right away. I mean, that's, that's what they saw right away. That happens in our lives, too. Here's a great example of that. Moses. Moses goes out into the wilderness. He's, he's, he's banished from Egypt, from his family, from the riches and all of those things. He, he's banished. And God says, I want you to go back to Egypt. And remember, Moses was like, I, 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 I don't think, think that I, I can g- g- go back there. Remember, he, he stuttered a little bit. Uh, he didn't want to go back. But God says, I want you to go back there. It's the way of, of the life of faith. When you are in the will of God, God will tell you and you'll say, I, I can't do that. I can't witness. I can't stand in front of an abortion clinic. I can't give money to God. I can't provide for a missionary. I can't do those things. And then God impresses on your heart, and you can't sleep, and weeks go by, and, and you're just uncomfortable, and, and you pray, and God shows you, I want you to do this. And then finally you do it, and it's like, wow, that was cool. Oh, I got to serve the Lord, and, and, and everything's better now in my life I, because you were obedient. Moses, interestingly, he goes back to Egypt to, to, um, in obedience to God to lead the people out of captivity. And what happened? Did Pharaoh come up to him and say, hey, sure, take all the people, just go, go, have fun, just take off? No. It took 10 miraculous plagues from God to get the attention of Pharaoh. And it was finally when his firstborn died that he let the people go. And then when the people got down to the Red Sea, they're at the Red Sea standing like, okay, now where do we go? And they looked at Moses, and Moses was like, I'm not really sure where Oh, here comes Pharaoh and all the chariots. They're going to kill us. And what does God do? Parts the Red Sea. And they go through, and the Bible says, on dry land. But again, opposition. He's obeying, but he gets all this opposition. And these two million, million people finally get through the Red Sea. And now where are they? You remember where they are? Are they in the garden? Are they in a paradise? Are they by the seaside sipping on, on you know, uh, Kool-Aid? No. They're in the desert. They end up in the desert. They go through one thing to another. Do you see the pattern here in the Bible? It's always that way. Paul, the great apostle, study his life. We, we did a few years ago when we went through the book of Acts. Study of his life. 
every time he went to a synagogue, well, just about every time he went to a city, he was chased out. He was beaten to an inch of his life. He was thrown in prison over and over and over again. Opposition. If you're serving the Lord, if you loved, you're gonna, there's going to be opposition, but we don't have to fear that, Christian, because if we're in God's will, he'll provide a way. He'll never allow us to go through something that we cannot handle, but he uses all those things to build us up and, and, and shape us into what he wants us to be. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, just like Abram does here in this text, you need to expect trials. I'm never going to this church again. The other church tells me he's going to make me rich, and we're going to have all these great things, and I'm going to be healthy forever. All I can say is that other church, and I'm not speaking of anyone locally, but the other church that tells you that, that's a lie. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God will call you to do something obediently that you don't want to do. It's something that God wants done, and when you do it, he'll bless you. He'll honor you, and then you'll have another one, (laughs) and something else will come. That's what the scripture tell us over and over. We see that here in this story of Abram. Where did we ever get the idea that when you trust and obey God, all your problems will just, you know, just evaporate? Because it's not in the scripture. This is what we're supposed to do. You know this verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You can, you can recite it with me as soon as it comes up here. Let's say it together. Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. That is how the Christian is to live his life. I, I have to trust the Lord with the unseen, with all my heart. I'm not supposed to understand it. I'm not supposed to make sense out of it. I'm supposed to walk by faith. That's what this man is teaching us here. And Abram obeys God by moving to this unseen place with hundreds of people. Now, he finds immediate opposition. There's idol-worshiping Canaanites everywhere. And here's my next point. That's when God appears to him. God appears to Abram here in verse 7. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram. Now, I, I love this because I believe this is what happens in all of our lives. When we face that opposition that God already knows, he already knows what's going to happen. That's when the Lord comes to us. Have you ever met the Lord in those places where he brings you by faith to a place that you're unsure, you've, you're uns, it's unseen, and you get to that place, and then the Lord appears. The Lord shows up in some way, in some way. It could be a person saying something on the phone. It could even be a text somebody sends you. That scripture, wow, it just speaks to your heart. The Lord shows up. At this moment in time with this man of faith learning how to trust the Lord and walking obediently, God shows up when there's opposition around. I love it. Verse 7, he says, to your descendants, I will give this land. So keep your eyes up and look at the land. I'm going to give it all to you. Yeah, you see the Canaanites in front of you, but all this land I'm going to give to you. This is my promise to you. God appears to him. He reaffirms his promise that he made, by the way, back in the first uh, verse 2 and verse 3 of chapter 12. And Abraham, he's walking by faith, trusting in God's promises, and God comes to him. 
It's an amazing thing. And he, he, it says there that he appeared to Abram. So here's a theophany in the Bible. Theophany is when, when God appears in human form. And in this case, I personally believe this is Jesus Christ. Father doesn't have a body. Jesus took on the form of man. So here we have, I, I believe Jesus shows up to encourage Abraham, to remind him of his promises to Abram. And then notice what Abram does here. This is my next point. At the end of verse 7, he worships. So he, Abram goes and he, opposition, and maybe he's, there, he's a little fearful and he falters a little. I'm not sure. I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that maybe ha- happened. And then the Lord appears to give him encouragement. The Lord appears to remind him. And then what is Abram's response here, verse 7b, and there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Isn't that a beautiful truth? He just began to worship the Lord. Oh, God, you're so good to me. Do you do that when, when you go through a trial and you see God's hand working? Do you stop and say, God, you're so good. God, thank you for leading me through this. Oh, Lord, you're so faithful to me. That's what he's doing here. Abraham's first act in the promised land is to build an altar and worship God. This is an act of faith, by the way. By faith, he's just worshiping the Lord. And Abram's faith here led him to an action. And I believe that your faith and my faith should lead to an action. And that action, I spent you know, most of my adult life here at this church leading worship. Worship is a priority of the believer's life. It's so important. I love that last song that the worship team did. Thanks for doing that, Eric. You know, higher, higher. I love that. Make it louder, louder. Let's just worship the Lord. I'm never going to stop singing about the grace of God. I'm never going to stop worshiping my God. He's done so many wonderful things. If you find yourself like I have in my life where the the only example I can give you is Eeyore. Oh, me. Poor me. Things aren't going well for me. I, I, I feel bad today. It's, everybody's against me. You've got to get your eyes up on the Lord. You've got to look up and see that, that, that Jesus loves you, that God is for you, that he'll get you through whatever it is he's brought you to. He'll get you through it. God does it with all his, his faithful, but it's worship. Worship here that's so important. He worships the Lord. And then it says he moves south to build another altar, and he worships God again. Look at verse 8. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Again, he's worshiping. Worship is an essential part of our lives. When we worship, we're meeting with God. When we, when we worship and we just think about God, God, you're so good to us. Why do we do worship with instruments and noise? Why do we do that? Well, you can worship God in a quiet place. That's a good thing, by the way. I do that. Psalm 150 says that we're, and you know, David obviously wrote it, but, but Psalm 150 says to worship God with a loud and clanging cymbal on the lute, on the harp, on all these different stringed instruments. Worship God. Make it a joyous occasion to worship God. The movement, uh, Hillsong and other movements, you know, worshiping God, that's a wonderful thing. might be different than what you're used to, but it's a wonderful thing to worship the Lord. 
We just need to make sure we're centered on the Lord and not on the music or the background or, you know, we, we need to focus on God and worship him during that time of praise. And we need to do it over and over again, a sacrifice. Notice this verse here, Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Notice that, continually. And we worship more than singing. You worship when you read the Bible. I'm worshiping God right now, teaching. I'm worshiping him. You're worshiping by listening to the word of God. You're being built up. You're thinking about how awesome your God is and how wonderful he is. And that's an act of worship too. But I believe that the number one priority of the Christian for you and me, is to worship God. It's, that's why we do it when you come in here. And by the way, you should be here on time. I'm not speaking to anybody. <laughs> Sunday morning, we, we're really a late church. We're late. We start service. There's 50 people in here, and when I come out to preach, you know, there's 250 or 300 people at first service. It's like, well, do you not love worship? We need to love worship. We need to be worshiping together. It unifies our heart. It builds us up, and it's really a priority of our lives. Warren Wiersbe says this. Notice this. I love this quote. Our study of the word is not an end unto itself, but will lead me to worship God and express my love, devotion, and obedience to him. That's what worship is. I study the word, and when I learn how good God is, I just want to say, God, you're so awesome. You're so wonderful. And so we, we respond to God in worship. It's our primary responsibility. It's the one thing that we really, really must do. Now, here we have Abram in our story here. He's, he's staking a claim. He's in this land. He's opposed by the Canaanites and their idol worship, but he's staking a claim because it says that he built an altar to the Lord. And the altar he builds, isn't a, it's not a ziggurat like some of the people, the idol worshipers back in Ur of Chaldees. It's just stones. He just builds some stones, and then he worships there. And, and undoubtedly, he would have sacrificed for sin there. Uh, he would have done those things that reminded him that he's a sinner and God has saved him by faith. I believe that's what he was doing. He's acknowledging God. He's, he's, and so uh, it's just a beautiful truth here about him staking a claim, building his home, pitching his tent in this area. And he's going to claim this area that God has promised him. And then notice in verse 9, the section ends with, Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. So he's going to continue on, but he's looking at all the land that God's promised him. He promised, God promised Abram back in chapter 12, this same chapter, verses 2 and 3, he promised him that he'd give him all these things and bless him and protect him and take care of those people that went against him. God already promised him that. So he's now moved. Think about this in, in closing. Think about this. Abram has moved from an idol-worshiping family with a father, Terah, in Ur of Chaldees. He's gone 800 miles to the north. Made a lot of money because he's 75 years old, has three or 400 people with him, and they go together, and all their possessions, goats, donkeys, camels, whatever, they go down 400 miles in that fertile crescent of the Middle East down to the area that's known as Israel today, the land of Canaan. God has moved him from idol worship to worshiping the true and living God. See what God's done? 
And it's all been done as Abraham has trusted God, just go. Okay, I'll go, God. And he moves across, and God shows him and leads him. And then when he sees the Canaanites and is fearful, God appears and calms him down. I'm with you. I'm going to get you through this. The example here for you and I as believers is is just, it's parallel. It's so parallel. That's, That's why studying him is so important. He obeys. He stepped out in faith. He didn't know where he was going. But when he arrived, he worships God. Two times in this text that we've read tonight, God calls. We respond. We move out. And then we arrive and worship God. That's what we're supposed to do. I don't know how that applies to you in your life at this point, but those are the steps that we take by faith. Years ago when I um, first started going to Calvary Chapel back in 1979, there's some of you that weren't even born in 79 in this room, but in 79 at the YMCA over here off of Highland Avenue, that's where Calvary Chapel met. Phil remembers he was here. It's like, are we the only two guys that were in the church at that time? Probably just the two of us. And I would sing, uh, lead the little kids in worship. I'd get my guitar out. And I used to play this song. <clears throat> See if I can sing it. Father Abraham had many sons. You remember the song? And many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So remember the punchline? Let's just praise the Lord. There's a lot of good theology in that. That's right. And then we do the right hand, Father Abe. And then we do, I mean, I got the kids going. It was like awesome. Talk about Pentecostal kids, man. We had fun. We were moving everything. Your head up and down. It was just crazy. But the theology in that song is really good. Father Abraham did have many sons. He was the father of the Jews. And just like Father Abraham, he went to the land that God, and he Praise the Lord. He worshiped. Christian, I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know if you've struggled. I don't know if, if you're at fear tonight, but you need to have faith and you need to trust the Lord and you need to believe that he'll get you through. He'll take you from all of these things and bring you through. If you're not a Christian tonight, you can turn from your sin. You can come to Jesus Christ. You can trust him as your savior, but you have to leave the old life behind like Abraham. You got to leave it behind. You can't say, I believe in Jesus, and continue to do sin. It just doesn't work that way. You've got to leave it behind. And when you do, it's victory. It's awesome. No condemnation, Romans chapter 8, for those that are in Christ Jesus. They don't walk after the flesh. They're, there's no condemnation. D.L. Moody, I'm going to end with this quote here. He wrote this. I want to finish with this, and we'll pray. There it is. Some say faith is the gift of God. So is the air, but you have to breathe it. So is bread, but you have to eat it. So is water, but you have to drink it. Think about that. (laughs) Love Moody. You need to put your faith in the Lord. You need to trust in him, and he'll get you through it. Amen? Father, thank you for our time tonight and the word. I'm so grateful for this man, Abram. And I so identify with him, Lord. And I pray that each of us, men and women, young and old, Christians a few years or or many years here tonight, I pray that we would identify once again with Abram, that we would turn from our sin, that we would leave it all behind and walk by faith and realize that, yes, there will be obstacles, there will be trials, 
in our lives, but you know about every one of them. You just call us to be obedient. Lord, may we, we walk by faith. May we trust in you. May we be people that, men and women that honor you in all things. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this study. Thank you, Lord, that, that your word is so beautiful and pure. Thank you for the truths that you teach us from it. And we'll give you thanks, and we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.